the other auto company is down. Okay, well, great to hear your thoughts. Thank you all very much. You heard there our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, Tariq Dennison, portfolio manager at GFM Asset Management, and Stuart Allcroft, chairman of City Trust. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a quick journey around the stock markets this morning. First of all, U.S. stock index futures are continuing to surge on that news from Moderna about uh, its, its vaccine, its drug-producing antibodies to COVID-19. Uh, Wall Street Dow futures are up about 1% at the moment. Similar story for the S&P 500 futures. Um, in Asian stocks, they're all being given a big boost by this. The SX200 in Australia up 1.3%. Over in South Korea right now, the Cosby is up 1.4%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan also up 1.4%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 1.5% at the open this morning. And in the commodities markets, Brent crude oil a little bit firmer at $43.04 a barrel. And gold is trading at $1,810 an ounce. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. The weather forecast, mainly fine, very hot. Maximum temperature is going to be about 33 degrees. Going to be hot with sunny periods and one or two showers in the next couple of days. 29 degrees right now, 82% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. President Trump has renewed his strong criticism of China as he announced legislation and an executive order in retaliation for Beijing's imposition of a new security law in Hong Kong. The president outlined the measures his administration had taken to counter what he described as China's unfair trade practices and human rights abuses and for, as he put it, unleashing the coronavirus on the world. No administration has been tougher on China than this administration. We imposed historic tariffs. We stood up to China's intellectual property theft at a level that nobody's ever come close. We confronted untrustworthy Chinese technology and telecom providers. We convinced many countries, many countries, and I did this myself for the most part, not to use Huawei. Just today, I believe that UK announced that uh, they're not going to be using it. President Trump says he takes credit for Britain deciding to ban equipment from the Chinese tech giant Huawei for its 5G mobile networks. He said he'd highlighted the security risks in the technology. Britain's operators have been given just over seven years to clear their 5G networks of Huawei gear. The government said it had acted after a reassessment of the risks, but Huawei said it was all about U.S. trade policy and would push Britain into the digital slow lane. The Trump administration has reversed a plan to force foreign students whose courses were to be taught solely online to leave the country. It follows legal action by a number of U.S. universities. Here's the BBC's Gary O'Donoghue. This is a 180-degree U-turn on the part of the administration and an embarrassment given the policy was only announced eight days ago. Several high-profile institutions, such as Harvard and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, were challenging the policy and before the court case began, a judge in Boston, where the case was being heard, said the parties had agreed the status quo would be reinstated. The Trump administration was facing a welter of criticism over the move, not just from universities, but also from tech companies and state governments. 
The U.S. Supreme Court Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been admitted to the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore to receive treatment for a suspected infection after complaining of a fever. Justice Ginsburg is the oldest member of the current court and noted liberal. Her health is closely watched as her death or retirement could give the Trump administration the chance of appointing a more conservative judge in her place. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Bank Chat. I'm Hugh Chivert and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Andrew, good morning to good you. Good morning, Hugh. Good to be back. We're talking today about COVID-19 and about F&B in particular. Well, the Centre for Health Protection has described the coronavirus situation as very worrying now as they report that more than half of the 40 new local COVID-19 cases were infected via unknown sources. Earlier this week, the chief executive said there would be no dining in restaurants from 6pm to 5am starting from tonight as part of the latest measures to control the spread of the virus. Bars and 12 other types of venues, including gyms and karaoke lounges, Ocean Park and Disneyland are closing. Public gatherings are once again limited to four and masks will be compulsory on public transport and two major uh, supermarkets chains have imposed a quota on essential goods such as rice and toilet paper following a surge in demand. Well, how and why are these new measures different from ones in the past? What have we learned over the past six months? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can put your questions directly to our experts this morning by calling 233-88266. That's the number to call, 233-88266. We look forward to hearing from you. And on our Facebook page, following up on uh, yesterday's uh, programme about uh, political developments and the uh, primaries. An interesting uh, dialogue going on there. I recommend you uh, check that out and even join in uh, if you wish. Um, uh, A couple of emails just related to um, uh, earlier programmes. Peter T says... Uh, My dilemma at present in the forthcoming election is simple. On the current range of possible candidates, there are none that attract my support. So unless the ballot form includes the option none of the above, I have the choice of not bothering to vote or rubbishing my ballot. This would be a disgraceful way to operate in an election as it disenfranchises those for whom there is no acceptable candidate. That comes from Peter T. And... uh, S says the uh, on today's topic, the government was going to send every family some masks by post from June the 30th. I wonder if anyone has received any. I'm not sure about that. Uh, Andrew, do you, have you received those masks in the post? Uh, I think I sure. might have seen an envelope come through. My wife's got boxes and boxes I and that's all over the flat. And I saw an envelope come in and I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. But so maybe, I'm not sure. Everyone has quite a lot of masks at the moment, don't yeah, they? Yeah. It doesn't seem to be a problem. Well, joining yeah. us for the first part of the programme before nine o'clock, we have with us now Dr. Sridhar Siddharth from the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong <coughs> Kong and Civic Party lawmaker, Dr. Kwok Karki. Uh, maybe Dr. Kwok, we'll start with you. Good morning. Thank you morning. For, for, for joining us today. Um, how would you characterise the, uh, the current situation? As I say, the Centre of Health Protection says it's very worrying. Are you very worried? Uh, yes, uh, I do. The, the problem is actually getting uh, more severe every single day. Yesterday we have uh, 40 new cases and 24, we couldn't find the origin of the infection. That means the virus or the COVID has been in the community and... The numbers of uh, so-called the invisible cases should be maybe 10 times or even 100 times more than the uh, confirmed or uh, suspected cases because, you know, 
there, was, there wasn't any trace of the origin. That means the people carrying the virus are actually walking on the street. Uh, presently, in our labors, wherever we are, like, you know, in the public transport, in the elevator, or, or on the restaurant, whatever places, or in the, even in the workplace, they are always with us. So um, it comes to the point that no um, very effective measurement, except wearing a mask, uh, social distancing, will be able to curb the, uh, the spread of the disease. But I would also point, uh, bring one very important point. The outbreak, this kind of outbreak or this uh, uh, surge of the outbreak is actually uh, after the so-called the, uh, the, the government's arrangement of the extended uh, arrangement of, of the quarantine at the borders. Only starting from uh, February to maybe in June, we have altogether 200,000 people traveling between Hong Kong and China um, because of, you know, of the special arrangement of the of the exemption. That was actually a big hole in the whole, uh, you know, um, strategic arrangement against the COVID-19. And that is, I, to my um, opinion, it, disastrous that, you know, brings a lot of invisible uh, carriers to Hong Kong and they, they already spread to everywhere in Hong Kong. Of course, nowadays, uh, the focus is actually on maybe in Satin or maybe in Wong Dai Sin or Tiwan San. But in fact, you know, the, the virus can spread in no time and we, we can, we can um, anticipate that numbers of cases will be everywhere and only on our side. Another three outbreaks were actually being confirmed in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. I think all, all those cases is only tips of an iceberg. In the coming weeks, we will be seeing a lot more confirmed cases. Now, when you talk about those 200,000 that have been coming in and out, um, you know, Hong Kongers got to eat. I mean, a, a lot of these, I expect, are people that are bringing uh, necessary goods for the functioning of the city, of the economy. But are there a lot more people in that 200,000 that are not really... Now, not no. really necessary? Like, I mean, people, you know, whether, you know, whether political we, figures... We, or... have, we have asked repeatedly <clears throat> how the government is going to, uh, you know, classify people who has, you know, very emergent need. Now, I, I just want to quote you an example. When we have the exempted arrangement for those lorry drivers or people have their need to travel from Hong Kong to mainland for a very important mission, right? You know, the lorry and you know, a very important, you know, function. We we, we didn't see any uh, surge of the outbreak. It's only after uh, in April, I think, when the government started to have a new arrangement of the so-called exempted person uh, who, you know, only have a factory in mainland without any very important function or have a business or even accountant, whatever, you know, they, we have all together 10,000 people. I can't accept that all those 10,000 is with their need to, you know, both sides. You know, nowadays we are coming back to the to so-called work at home. You know, everywhere in the world, we are actually much better than many parts of the world. We don't really have a so-called lockdown. So people can, you know, within, within Hong Kong, they, they can still freely to travel. They can, you know, go to work. But, you know, uh, but in many parts of the world, of the world, they're actually functioning on a, 
on a lockdown basis. People is actually working at home, and I don't think you know that will actually uh, jeopardize or you know to to the level that is not acceptable to most parts of the of, of other countries. But yeah, you know, Hong Kong already given a lot of freedom, but you know we have enacted this exemption policy, which makes things worse. And now that is the time the government should stop this uh, exemption policy. Otherwise, you know, we are seeing even more, more, more and more, you know, uh, outbreaks in the times to come. Okay. Even though how much we are doing in the in the locally in the city, you know, we will be unable to curb. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to the measures in, in a moment. Uh, Dr. Siddharth, good morning to you and thank you for, for joining us once again. Uh, we, we, we seem to be doing so well in, in, in Hong Kong. It seemed like the COVID was going away. We had you know, long periods with no uh, local infections, a handful of arrivals and, and so on. Quite suddenly, that's, that seems to have turned around and we have this uh, surge uh, in numbers. Did we do something wrong? What's, what's the cause of that? What's going on? This was actually avoidable because COVID-19 is raging around the world uh, to such an extent it was a matter of time before um, the, the virus was actually reintroduced into Hong Kong from uh, uh, from overseas. It was basically just a matter of time because it, it's human nature. We would like to get back to our usual activities uh, to the extent possible so, um, uh, so, so measures are relaxed. Um, individuals become more relaxed, maybe perhaps less vigilant, and uh, before we know it, um, you have these violent links of transmission from various sources basically establishing themselves in the city, and then uh, all of a sudden you have a major uh, outbreak. And uh, there's been a lot of speculation and uh, reports in the media about the virus itself changing with these mutants coming up, uh, the D614G mutant, etc. But uh, at this stage, there is really no firm evidence that it makes a major difference to how the virus transmits between people or the severity of the disease in any way. So I'd have to put this down to the fact that the uh, global pandemic uh, uh, goes on uh, unabated and Hong Kong as a globally linked city with some relaxation of measures in the interim, as was described uh, by Dr. Park, basically let the virus back in and uh, it let it in in quite a uh, bad way with a lot of uh, local outbreaks. Yeah. Now, you, you, you kind of slid something in there that I want to delve into a little bit more. Are we dealing with the same virus that we were back in January and February? Are there variations of the COVID? Are there mutations that are changing yeah. how it's being transmitted? I mean, are we tightening up in one area? Maybe, you know, the old expression, fighting last year's battle. Um, but when you're taking the samples and, and diagnosing people, is, is, it, is it the same virus exactly, or are these variations of a theme? Is it mutating? It's, well, viruses change all the time. They have an, uh, a very, very high rate of what they call mutation, and that is inherent to the way in which they uh, replicate with themselves. Uh, Having said that, although sounds scary, you know, mutants, but the fact that most mutations actually make no difference whatsoever to the virus. They don't have a positive effect, they don't have a negative effect. There are various factors that lead to the selection of these mutations over time. So it's not exactly Darwinian in that sense. Occasionally, you have mutants that make a difference to the virus, either positive or negative, and the positive ones might 
might be selected out over time. That that's actually not uh, that common. But one uh, particular mutant that uh, I described uh, just now, the D six one four G, certainly seems to make a difference to the virus in the test tube and the laboratory setting. It seems to help the virus to grow more readily. But uh, Going from that to saying that the virus actually transmits, this particular mutant transmits more readily in communities or uh, or is causes more severe diseases, quite a stretch. We simply don't have the evidence for that as yet. So I would say more or less we are dealing with the same virus. COVID-19 can be quite infectious, um, especially in indoor settings that are poorly ventilated. Mm. And it causes some mild disease in the majority of patients, and severe disease in some, and death probably in one percent uh, or so of infected individuals. So substantially, it is the same virus, although genetically it may have changed a little bit. Okay, so we're not looking at major variations that are going to that yeah. would suggest different policy. Okay, yeah. uh, our number is two three three eight 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 two six six, and we've got uh, Mike on the line now. Mike, good morning to you. I don't want I don't want you to miss me, but I just uh, we, I we, you could be a co-host, couldn't you? You could be the yeah, third you know host. Yeah. <laughs> remote, remote host. <clears throat> I talked to my son, who's an ER doc in New York, and so I asked him. You know, I'm picking his brain every day, and so. Um, uh, there was there was something that came up the other day in our discussion that was kind of interesting, and nobody's talked about it. If you've had a common cold, are you gonna are you gonna test positive to COVID? Uh, Doctor Siddharth? Right. Um, it depends. Well, when we say the common cold, we're actually talking about a few viruses, maybe four or five, that can cause high symptoms. The most common of which is the rhinovirus, right? So if you have a common cold due to the rhinovirus, you're not going to test positive for COVID because it's a completely different virus. Well, you know that's not what we're talking about. What are you talking about, Mike? We're talking about we're talking about the common cold that is a that is a uh, that is a corona cold. Right. If you have if you have common cold symptoms that is a runny nose due to COVID nineteen. Not uh, not due to COVID nineteen. Due to one of the other COVID, there's there's a number of COVIDs out there. Yeah, and there are a number of human coronaviruses out there. So there are four uh, about four milder human coronaviruses that are circulating in humans all the time. If you are infected by one of them, you're not going to test positive on a COVID test because the test is very specific for the virus that causes COVID-19. Oh. So if you're infected by, say, OC43, NL63, 229E, or HKE1, these are the other four coronaviruses that infect humans, you would not test positive on a COVID-19 test. Does that answer uh, your question? specifically designed to exclude, <clears throat> uh, to, to, to detect only the virus that causes COVID-19. Okay, that answers my question. Very good. Okay, thank you very much indeed for your call. Have anyone got any questions, give, um, dial 233-8826 uh, and put it to our experts um, this morning. Um, uh, Dr. Kwok, um, let's look at the public health measures which have, which have been introduced. Um, uh, what do you, I mean, they're slightly different uh, from the ones that we, we introduced, you know, kind of the first time round, as it were. Uh, do you think they're adequate? Do you think they're appropriate? What do you reckon to them? Now, um, although we are seeing a lot of the new strain or the new species of the COVID-19, but I think the the way to combat against the virus doesn't change much. Um, we we don't really have a very 
you know, very effective drugs. We have a lot of trials around the world, uh, particularly like the anti-Ebola treatment. But uh, to be frank, there wasn't any, you know, uh, you know, a, a kind of drug that certainly uh, killed the virus. So you, we still seeing, you know, the, the, the mortality rate is still actually very high uh, uh, around the world. So the best measure is still uh, social distancing and the, and the wearing a mask, you know, all the personal hygiene matters. And of course, some of the very important uh, measures being taken by the community, like the wearing a mask on the, uh, on the public transport, um, you know, stopping the, uh, the using the restaurant, you know, for meals. Uh, but except that, you know, we, we are doing very ridiculous things, you know, allowing people on the restaurant in the daytime but not in the lifetime. Things like that is quite ridiculous, but, you know, better than nothing. That I must say, better than nothing. So, you know, in Hong Kong, the special uh, feature is that, you know, we are not relying on the government. Before the government announced these measures of, you know, requiring everyone to wear the mask, you go to the MTR, go to the person, 99% of those passengers wearing a mask. So it is the, you know, the awareness of the people in Hong Kong, and which help us, you know, when compared to any countries in the world, we are still on the very low level. So we, you know, we should be still quite, um, you know, vigilant against these virus at the hands of the people of Hong Kong. And I'm on this regard, I was, I'm quite confident that, you know, we are better than a lot of other countries in the public awareness of the disease. And I think we should, you know, hold this attitude. Although we are seeing some, you know, a kind of very fatigue in combat against the virus in the past, in the past maybe one month. But, you know, people are now tightening up. I, I saw a lot of people, you know, not only wearing a mask, they want, they clean the, you know, every walls on the street, on a lot of other places, you know, diligently. I think that is the white attitude. The only way we can combat the disease is prevention. And there is no better way. You know, in Hong Kong, the so-called the new drug is not available to us. We, are, we have only the NDA treatment um, and also, of course, other, other immunological uh, treatment. But both drugs is not actually very promising, you know, uh, in, killing a, in curing a disease. Uh, uh, to be frank, the young and the healthy ones usually, you know, get out of the disease without much complication. But the elderly and people with uh, chronic diseases, like, you know, the recent mortality, the 95 years old, uh, uh, you know, patient, that was something quite uh, very, uh, we need to be very cautious. But one of the arrangements I was coming to advise on the government is that we need to test every single patient uh, when they are admitted to the public hospital nowadays. No matter they are, you know, admitted for whatever uh, diseases, they should be tested uh, before they are allowing going to the hospital because, you know, that is the only way which can prevent the so-called invisible patient. And I would advise, I'm going to see the, uh, to try to see the secretary today, seeing whether this arrangement can be uh, launched Okay, uh, one question for you, Dr. Kwok. Uh, this is from a listener, Jason, who says, Dr. Kwok has voiced his concern about the 10,000 exempted cross-border professionals. This implies he is concerned about contagion from within the mainland. Does this mean the infection rate on the mainland is significantly higher than the recorded case numbers? And if so, is there any indication how much higher comes from... Now, um, so one of the... One of the learned 
knowledge in Hong Kong is that we cannot rely on figures, maybe from many countries, not only from mainland, but from like, you know, South Asian countries like India, Pakistan, you know, a, a lot of other countries, sure. they may not have the capacity to give a full picture. And even in the United States, you know, we, we, we do have a lot of unreported cases because people are turning back in US or in UK, not the, the hospital not accepting anyone. So the best practice is quarantine. You know what I mean? No matter where you are coming from, you need to be quarantined further in the hotel at home. That was the thing. It is unique. I would not discriminate any people or any country, but it is a government's measure to exempt people coming from China, which is can exempt them. You know, this kind of exemption, no matter what country, is not acceptable. You know what I mean? I didn't want to discriminate any country, including mainland, but we should have Universal standards. You know okay, what well, I mean? yeah. on that, sorry, on that topic also, uh, Paisley says uh, in an email, until the past week, the government had exempted pilots and aircrew from COVID tests on arrival at the airport. A few questions for your experts. Did other governments also exempt this group from testing? Was this loophole a serious mistake by our government? Does this exempt group likely contribute to the latest surge in cases? Those are from Paisley. Dr. Kwok, do you want to respond? Yes, yes. At least one of the cases, they actually is a pilot uh, of the cargo cargo craft, aircraft. So uh, that means, you know, we should be very vigilant. That's what I mean. No matter what you are doing, no matter what jobs you are, no matter what countries you are coming from, please have the quarantine. I think that is, it is a universal standard. No, no country, no particular patient should be exempted. I just want to quote you one example. For anyone going from Hong Kong to mainland, they need to be tested or you stay in the hotel for 14 days. This kind of arrangement hasn't been lifted. Hey, <clears throat> I, have, I have a question, gentlemen, about testing. Uh, I rocked up at a drinks uh, about a month ago, and somebody had a five-minute uh, antibody test. They take a little bit of blood, and very quick, within five minutes, they can tell you if you, you, you're, uh, you're, you're active COVID or, or had COVID maybe and didn't even know about it. Why are those not more widespread? Why, and they're very cheap. I mean, these are, these are less than five U.S. dollars a, a test. Um, why it, not, it, was, it was like an antibody test. They take a little bit of blood, and then you put in a reagent, and it gives you a result in about five minutes. Why have we not seen more of those tests? Is there, are there issues with the reliability? Dr. Siddharth? Uh, they are, uh, well, we've had a lot of companies are coming out with antibody tests, and there are private laboratories in Hong Kong that are actually offering this service. Uh, the problem with antibody tests is we don't exactly know what to do with them. I mean, if if they're negative, does it, it could still mean that the patient is uh, incubating or has recently been infected with uh, COVID that has just not developed symptoms or has not uh, developed an immune response yet. If they're positive, does it really mean that the patient is immune to COVID um, for, for, for the short or intermediate or long term? Again, we're not sure. So the most reliable diagnostic test for COVID-19 remains the detection of COVID-19 RNA uh, in the patient's uh, clinical samples. So the antibody tests are, that are coming out are fairly reliable, especially for those from... Uh, other parts of the world where they've been evaluated on thousands and thousands of samples. But their role mainly seems to be to see what proportion of the population has been contact has come in contact with COVID nineteen before. We are still working out ways on how to deploy them for care of individuals.
individual patients and they don't have a big role uh, at this moment due to the uncertainty that I was referring to about what a positive test or what a negative test actually means. Hmm. And finally, um, do we need any new measures? Uh, I think you mentioned ventilation there. There seems to be, in some reports, a kind of uh, 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 increased focus on on getting lots of fresh air into spaces. Would that, is that a something, uh, an extra thing that we should be bearing in mind when we are uh, approaching the virus in coming months? Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Like, uh, especially in uh, uh, things like minibuses or taxis, uh, uh, definitely the windows should be wide open. It makes a major difference in terms of uh, uh, how droplets uh, transmit across these uh, uh, in indoor or the vehicle spaces. And uh, even in Public uh, areas. I mean, opening windows wide, opening doors wide makes a that would make a big difference in how uh, droplets spread across these spaces. So ventilation is uh, is absolutely important too. Because you know, there's a lot of focus in the past on surfaces and not touching surfaces and cleaning surfaces and anything like that. But also, you've got to you've got to bear in mind the air. Okay. And, and, and Hugh, I'll give you an example. That friend of mine was uh, flying into Hong Kong, had to do quarantine. And when he was calling the hotels, he wanted to make sure that the hotel had an individual aircon unit for each room and not a central air conditioning. And that that was a concern for him. Doctors, what what do you think of that? Is that is that a is that a sensible Sorry, request? We're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, well, it's, we've got a cliffhanger. T- took their breath away. Uh, well, for the, for the moment, uh, Dr. Uh, Siddharth, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us from the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, Kwok Kaki, a civic party lawmaker, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, as well. Uh, two restaurant owners are going to be joining us um, after the news at uh, nine. Uh, we're going to be talking about those uh, latest uh, measures, including the restrictions on, on dining uh, in uh, restaurants. Please uh, join in, give us a call, or drop us a line, backchat.rthk. HK, the weather mainly fine, very hot, maximum temperature about 33 degrees, very hot weather warning in place now, 30 degrees, humidity 77%. Is the oldest member of the current court and a noted liberal. Her health is closely watched as her death or retirement could give the Trump administration the chance of appointing a more conservative judge in her place. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Andrew Work and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about aspects of the COVID-19 situation uh, in Hong Kong. We were talking about public health measures and uh, also the uh, the virus and its transmissibility and so on in the first part of the programme. Uh, we're focusing uh, now in particular on the, the new measures and how they will uh, affect uh, F&B uh, in Hong Kong. And we're joined by James Robertson, owner of the restaurant chain Grappers and uh, Cadillac, and Jonathan Zeman, who's the CEO of the Lang Kwai Fong Group. Uh, if you want to contribute, if you want to speak to them uh, and Hong Kong, give us a call, 233-88266. We'll put you on air, 233-88266, or you can email backchat at rthk.hk, and uh, we'll read out your comments or do our best to do that, uh, or you can comment on our Facebook page, and everyone can see what you say there. That's the Facebook page, Backchat, on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, the uh, latest measures uh, uh, include... Um, uh, 
changes to uh, uh, restaurant dining. Uh, there will be no dining in restaurant in restaurants, although there will be takeaways uh, from 6 p.m. to 5 a.m. starting from uh, tonight midnight as part of those uh, measures. Still opening uh, at lunchtime. Uh, James Robertson, Jr. Good morning to you, and, and thank, thanks for joining us. Uh, what do you think of the uh, latest public health measures? Well, first of all, good morning. Morning. And then uh, after that, let's. Uh, uh, I don't know. The industry was not consulted. Uh, Sophia Chan, uh, the Secretary for Food and Health, uh, said that they did not consult. The, I guess they did not consult Tommy Tommy Jung, who represents the catering industry at Legco. And I don't believe they consulted anybody else. They decided that this virus is active at night, I suppose, and is not active uh, until 6 o'clock in the evening, which is a little bit absurd. And uh, I, I'm sitting, I, I live in Happy Valley, and I'm looking out my window right now, and I see a bunch of uh, uh, rugby guys and soccer guys, whatever, they're running around on the pitches down inside the racetrack. So I guess, I guess the virus isn't there. The virus is only in the, the restaurants in the evening time. I mean, the government is not doing a very good job of implementing uh, the various procedures and tactics that they want to uh, try to fight the, the virus. I mean, the guys can run around and kick the ball and pitch the ball that uh, we can't serve after in the evening time. It's, it's detrimental. I mean, there's no way that the takeaway and food delivery service will ever uh, compensate for the loss of the evening, uh, the evening trade. I'm not, for an instance, suggesting that uh, it's not a, an appropriate step. I would say that they should probably close the restaurants entirely for seven days or 14 days. I was speaking to a friendly competitor at Central last night who said exactly that. He said, I'd rather have 10 days of no business whatsoever than, than bleeding like this with no business in the evening and no wine or happy hour sales or whatever. Why is that? Why would you rather close altogether? I don't understand that. Well, we're not going to make any money because there's no compensation coming from the government for this, uh, for this uh, new practice procedure. So we're just going to be bleeding. We're not going to make any money. The bars are also supposed to be closing uh, today uh, completely. So we have three of our outlets, which are predominantly serving alcohol, are closed. And we don't get any reduction. In, well, we don't get any much sympathy from some of the landlords regarding rent. So you close the thing for uh, 10 days, and then you really got a shot at it. But of course, people in Hong Kong, we probably have the highest uh, number of restaurants or F&B outlets per capita of anywhere in the world. Yeah. Simply because we live in such small uh, small apartments that it's hard to eat at home. If you've you got a small house, it's easier to go out, meet your friends outside, as opposed to inviting them over to your house, as they do in other parts of the Western world. Uh, yeah, we're just quite displeased. I mean, this is kind of a halfway step. It's going to bleed. It's going to cost a lot of money to the operators. But, of course... As I say, at the end of the day, we're all happy to try to do our part for the virus, but I think they should just take it all the way or, or, or not. I mean, they're not checking all the people coming in through through the border. Certain people I understand from the mainland or VIPs that come in. I also read on the front page of the South China Post yesterday that they're going to engage a couple of firms to come from the mainland to help check and, and, and give the tests for the virus. And they're going to they're going to do all the elderly care homes, and then it goes on to say, but with the help of the two mainland firms, the government planned to test residents and staff at all centers for the elderly, along with staff in the food and beverage and property management sectors. Well, I don't know. They're going to they're going to test all the people. It'll take three or four months to test all the people, and they have, 
Bethany at the state, <clears throat> catering at the state. Uh, I, I just don't know where all this is going. It's all, it's not clear. There's no concise statement of what's going to happen. And they're only going to do seven days. I think that's a sugar-coated uh, pill. It's probably going to be 14 or maybe even 21. So uh, it's it's just really tough on our industry. Jonathan uh, Jonathan Zeman, uh, CEO of the Lang Kwai Fund Group, uh, welcome to the show. Is it your first time on? Hi, good morning. No, I think I've been on this last uh, year, or somewhere like that. Great. So you you guys have had to be pretty nimble to react to all these different things, um, and, and maybe for high end places like you and uh, JRs, it's 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 a little bit tougher because I mean, if you can still do takeaway, if you're a if you're a low cost takeaway restaurant. That's your business, but I mean, for you guys, I mean, uh, you know, you're really dependent on on the margins from alcohol sales to to make these businesses work. Uh, how are, how are you guys reacting to these these kind of coming and going uh, restrictions? Yeah, um, well, as Jr. said, it it is you know, detrimental to to the whole catering sector. Um, seven days, okay, I think we could you know, suck it up and 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 get on with it if it really is going to be seven days. Um, but you know, most. Say for high-end restaurants, most of your revenue comes from the evening evening service, maybe uh, 60 to 70 percent for some restaurants. So um, lunch, well, you know, it helps to some extent, but you know, it, it, it's not going to keep us in business if the seven days becomes 14 days or becomes 21 days. Um, you know, so what we did yesterday when we uh, found out about everything, we convened an emergency meeting with all our team and tried to figure out, you know, can we up, up things on the delivery uh, curbside pickup for um, you know for for people that call directly to order, um, even you know home cooking kits so you can pick up you know the ingredients and then take them home to to cook. But how much money we can really make from that is is not really relevant when you compare the cost of running a business in Hong Kong, which mostly comes from um, you know your staff costs plus your your rent in Hong Kong. Those are the two main things that you know, that eat up. Eat up your 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 revenue. So, yeah, it, it it's a tough situation, and you know the best we can do is try to muddle through. Um, and you know, as Jr. said, the information that came from the government was not so clear, um, and it would have been nice to have been consulted, um, because then you know we could have said, you know, from our point of view, you know, the, the restrictions now are fifty percent of your seating capacity uh, can be occupied. Uh, you need 1.5 meters between tables still. Mm. or should wear masks when they're not eating or drinking. Um, so those are already, for, for a high-end restaurant, those are already pretty strict. And, um, you know, the, the the size of a higher-end restaurant compared to a kind of Hong Kong cha-cha-tang is much bigger. So 50% of your city capacity, you know, you're, I think you're in a pretty safe position. Um, is, is, is it worth keeping them open? Because you could... Could you just not, you know, just keep the keep the place shut and lay off the staff or whatever, uh, or, or follow the yeah, staff? Yeah, hard to lay off the staff, um, especially we have you know the uh, wage subsidy scheme from the government, which is important for all, I think, all restaurants in Hong Kong uh, to keep going. So, um, from my point of view, I I would prefer to keep things open if it is just a week. You know, keep keep it keep it open and um, you know try to turn whatever cash you can to the till. Um, and yeah, save costs wherever wherever possible. Uh, for both of you do, you, do you guys feel like you're being unfairly targeted? Because, I mean, in this recent wave of outbreaks, I think there was one person that was associated um, with working in the back end of a restaurant. I mean, I guess there was, there was the one case in Lan Kwai Fung where there were band members 
uh, and a couple of audience members. But I mean, the band members all I lived in the same residence. There were a few this time around. No, were there? I think because it was a cluster associated yeah. with the with the. Um, and there was a dim sum with, restaurant. The, with the restaurant, yeah, in Choi Hong, or some other things. But, yeah. uh, but it, I, I don't think one I, cluster I don't, like that. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think the catering industry is being unfairly targeted because you know we do cater for almost everyone in Hong Kong three meal, two to three meals a day, almost. So it's important to you know when the government is looking at how to control the outbreak to look at restaurants and how to deal with it. Um, I, I think in was it March or April we were we were consulted. Okay, a couple of comments from listeners, and, and JR, you might want to respond, first of all, to this from uh, S, uh, who says, I'm quite astonished that a restaurant owner demands to be consulted by Sophia Chan regarding health matters. The health authorities are there to take care of health matters and not a restaurant business. What next? They need to consult gyms, beauty parlours and so on. Their response would be obvious. Short-term gains against long-term prevention of the virus. That comes from S. JR? Tommy Chung, uh, who represents the catering industry, yeah, but apparently he wasn't consulted. He should be part of the decision process that affects the industry. Okay, uh, Phil, we have some unsympathetic uh, listeners. Uh, Phil B says, "Tell Jr. to stop complaining. Why not just close up for two weeks?" <laughs> <laughs> I, this somebody somebody who clearly has never run a business. I'll just get that in for you, Jr. Let let you respond. Well, we are closing three of our places for at least the, the first week. Who knows how long that's going to be? But uh, but and that's not really clear. I haven't actually seen the uh, uh, an edict from the government. I'm only reading what I see in the newspaper, uh, the South China Post, and how accurate this is. I'm not sure. But uh, there were articles that were saying we have to close the bars. So. I'm closing three places. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not good. I mean, I mean, my my uh, my day job with the Self Storage Association. Two things matter. Number one, you know, are big in the industry. Number one, regulations that impact your efficiency of like how much business you can do in the property you have, and whether you own the property or whether you're renting the property, right, make a huge difference. And I guess. Um, JR, you were making reference to uh, landlords. I've heard a huge range of responses from landlords who've said, listen, when you guys are under restrictions, I'll give you a rent-free period to other people that are getting no breaks whatsoever. Um, Jonathan, I think you, you guys principally own the properties that your outlets are located in, yes? Yeah. So that, that probably puts you in a better position. But I mean, uh, across the industry and what you're hearing from your peers, um, as I said, I've heard a range, but what do you, what do you, how do you think landlords in general are responding? There definitely is a range. I think maybe the, the big landlords that you know, have a multiple properties and have a team to manage things, um, they're maybe on one hand easier to deal with, on one hand not easier to deal with, just because they you know they do see a lot of cases and then they have to make a you know a decision uh, on what to do across the board. Um, you also have single landlords uh, you know, on the street where they may have bought their properties for you know, paid a lot of money for a lot of them are speculators. Um, and have you know, all, all landlords, I think, have bank payments to make and mortgage payments. So it's just a fact of life. So I think you know, it really depends on on the type of landlord you're talking to. You could, you know, in Hong Kong, you can get a great landlord, and you can also get a terrible landlord. 
operate our own restaurants inside our own properties. Uh, we do have some leeway, but you know, we still, as I said, we still have mortgage payments to make. So, um, an all kind of effect. Because yeah, that was big during the financial crisis, and then I think SARS as well, where a lot of uh, a lot a lot of property owners had to sell because they just couldn't maintain the the. Uh, uh, the mortgage payments on multiple properties, and it was uh, it was a bit of a bloodbath back then. But are, are we seeing that kind of pressure now? Are you guys hearing about people, uh, uh, you know, owners, people who own properties that restaurants are in, are saying, "Listen, I'm going to have to sell this property at a, at a at a discount and take a haircut because I can't make the mortgage payments." Yeah. Is that happening this time around? Um, I, I haven't really seen that happening yet. Although if you look in say Soho, there's a lot of empty empty uh, shop spaces. Yeah. So I would I would expect it to start to have an effect maybe the end of the year or early next year, interest rates are still pretty low. So um, you can kind of get away with things as long as, as long as you can, but then at some point, the party stops. Mm. Jayon, what, what are you hearing about landlords? Well, we have, uh, we've got the full gamut there. We've got guys that have been pretty good to us uh, in, in this kind of situation. The High Sun Squire have been uh, pretty reasonably understanding. We have a few other smaller landlords that uh, are not understanding. So we, we got the whole range. In terms of uh, carrying the mortgage and some of the smaller uh, landlords and what have you, I think there's probably something to that because it's not just the catering industry for sure. I mean, all the shops, the jewelry shops, the cosmetic shops, uh, everybody's suffering. There's no tourists coming into town. Nobody's the guys that work on commission, like the jewelry salesmen. I mean, I don't know who's out buying a, a brand new Rolex watch right now. Not because some people can't afford it. It's, nobody's in the mood to, to spend money on something like that. So I, I think there's a lot of landlords that aren't getting the money from the tenants. And uh, I think the, the, the economy has been hollowed out significantly. And I'm sure there's lots of people with, with stress. But maybe some of the banks are also being understanding and uh, charging interest only for a period. I don't know that, but that's possible. Okay, here's another. I'm sure we have an unsympathetic audience, uh, JR. Uh, this is from John in Sai Kung uh, with the subject line F and B BS. Uh, John says, of course, they want to close completely so they can cry like a baby and claim government compensation. People are not stupid. F and B firms complaining, saying COVID only gathers at night is complete uh, BS. Grow a pair and grow up. If you want to close, close. Um, that comes from. John and Sai Kung. Do you want to respond, JL? <laughs> Not much to say. Of course, we're all trying to grow up. We're all trying to survive. That's all you can say. It's a tough, a tough battle out there between the landlords and the competition and the lack of money. Uh, it's, it's just a tough time. And a lot of the people in the airline industry uh, are the kind of people that come to our establishments or to Jonathan's places. And a lot of those people cut back on their discretionary, uh, well, they don't have discretionary income anymore. They're trying to survive. So it's, it's a tough market. I'm not saying just for catering. Everybody's having a difficult period right now, except maybe uh, supermarkets because everybody's loading up on the, the groceries <laughs> and, and dining at home now. Is it, I mean, is the scope, what, what about the takeaway business? Is that, does that make economic sense? Can you make money selling takeaways like that? Well, in our, in our case, I don't know about Jonathan, in our case, we're going to have uh, kind of a skeleton crew, maybe one person after six o'clock. We'll have one person at the front of the house and one or two in the kitchen, and, and the rest we just have to tell them to stay home because uh, it's not economically viable. And there's some money there, but it's 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 insignificant amount compared to the normal revenue that we have and what it takes to, to actually run the business. But we'll, we'll stay open and 
try to do that. How much takeaway there'll be, I, I don't know. Uh, certainly, I would expect the takeaway and the, the phone-ins and the deliveries to go up during this period since people can't go out. So we'll just have to see how that works out. But we're going to try that. But it doesn't compensate for the, the, the loss of business. Are, are you guys seeing a, a change in the political situation among restaurant owners? In that, like, are you seeing people who were previously not involved in politics, didn't care about policy, you know, they, they didn't support their local association, whether it was like the Lankwai Fung Association or the Soho Association or, or in districts. But are you seeing more restaurant owners say, OK, now I have to get involved. I realize I have to have a voice. I want to participate. If there is a movement to put pressure on, for example, big landlords in Hong Kong, say in shopping malls with food courts. Are you, are you seeing more and more people that, and restaurant operators that were previously not engaged in their communities, not engaged in politics? Are you seeing more of those people stepping up and saying, all right, if there's something happening, now I'll support it because now I'm really feeling the pain? Well, I'm I certainly – go ahead, Jonathan. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, from, from my point of view, you know, we run Lang Kwai Fong uh, groups, and then there's also Lang Kwai Fong Association that represents all of the different uh, F&Bs tenants and, and, and uh, businesses in the area. And, um, and we have, since uh, February, we've been doing, running different promotions with everyone and um, you know, trying to help help to get people to the area as much as possible, but also um, helping to make sure that things are safe and that, and that we come up with you know, a list of uh, standard operating procedures for all the different uh, businesses to follow um, when it comes to hygiene and safety and things like that. So yeah, I, I was very pleasantly surprised on the hygiene and safety side um, that all of the different members were very, very receptive to um, you know, the advice that we were giving. And, uh, and then they went, went ahead to implement. We set up a team of, you know, kind of inspectors to go to make sure that everyone is doing, doing things properly. And you know, it seems like there was very good um, adherence to the SOPs. So that was good to see. And then you know, when it came to promotion, you know, normally it, it's like pulling teeth trying to get different and be uh, businesses to join uh, you know, area-wide promotions, but we, we definitely had lots of interest and buy-in from, from everyone. So that, that was very good to see uh, from, my, from my side. Uh, when it comes to politics, I think um, you know, certainly Hong Kong has been very political over the past year, mm. um, but uh, you know, I think that the government, you know, with, with the pandemic so far, the government has given a lot of help to all kinds of businesses, including the catering industry. So um, I don't think we've seen too much, you know, too many uh, F&B operators jumping into politics. There's, there's definitely been some because, you know, there's the yellow-blue divide uh, since protests last year. Um, but and, you know, different businesses in Hong Kong get labeled either yellow or blue. Um, so you've seen, seen some, of, some of that, and, you know, there's maybe some... Uh, a race for the for the catering seats in Legco. But um, I think that that's from my point of view what I've seen. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's a good reminder that this industry isn't just you know hurting this week because of these recent things. This this has been going on for over a year now, starting with the protests. This industry has been getting hammered. I got a lot of friends in the business, and man, I mean, last year was a tough year, and then yeah. you know it's just yeah. it's just gotten worse and worse. Um, how about you, Jr. Have you like in, in some of the areas? You know, you've got stuff in Wan Chai and different parts of Hong Kong. But are you seeing your neighbors starting to say, "Hey, maybe we should get together and you know have a, a more of a, a unified voice," so that when 
you know, as you say, you weren't consulted on, on this particular uh, wave of restrictions, but are you finding that people in your, your neighborhoods where you operate are becoming more vocal and saying maybe we, maybe we should get our act together and, and, you know, speak more directly to government? Or is it pretty much the same people leading the charge that used to uh, prior to the protests and COVID? Yeah, I haven't heard too much about that. I mean, uh, as I say, they don't, they don't have to consult me personally. I just, Tommy Chung is the guy that represents the, the catering industry. And he has held a few uh, gatherings in the last several months that I've attended to, largely uh, Chinese operators. I think I was the only Westerner there. But uh, mm. nevertheless, he's he's trying to put forward some ideas and measures that, uh, and, and seeking the opinion of the operators. So I, I think that's good. Uh, the Western operators, everybody seems to kind of go their own way. Although, of course, uh, uh, one time I had a place in Lang Kwai Fung, and uh, certainly we participated in the... Uh, Lang Kwai Fung Association. I think they had a lot of good ideas and efforts and uh, programs. So I think that, that that area has worked. I haven't really seen that anywhere else. Uh, some of the landlords try to, uh, let's say like Swire or something, they they try to organize the people to have specials or something to attract people. That's more to attract them to the mall, I suspect, than it is to uh, really facilitate uh, or coordinate the efforts of the, the restaurant operators themselves. I think it's more for the the landlord and getting customers or patrons into the malls. But anyway, as I say, Tommy Jung has certainly held a few of these conferences, and um, let's see what happens. I mean, we can only go from where we are today. This is a tough patch we're in, and obviously, until they get a vaccine, we're going to have to live with this thing for a long time to come, I suspect. Are you guys looking around the world to other places where uh, restaurateurs are innovating or coming up with new models, like places outside of Hong Kong, where you might be able to take some lessons and uh, pick up pick yeah. up some new ideas? I think well, I, I have several friends uh, operating in the industry in London, and uh, there's mixed reviews. Again, this one guy started out with the, the takeaway and delivery, and he finally said he just gave up because he said, well, they can go to uh, Sainsbury and get a ready-made meal, a salad, and, and soup, and whatever, and take it home. He says there's just too much competition. So after trying it for a couple of weeks, they, they threw in the towel. They just reopened when they, they launched uh, on, on the 8th or whatever it was, uh, last Saturday or something. And uh, they, they, he's had some business. But uh, another one of my friends uh, who owns the premise in uh, Soho, London, he still has it open. He's, he's just doing uh, takeaway, and, and that's it. He has not actually open for a full service and feels that they just wait and uh, see how it shakes out because a lot of places are not going to open again in London. So there's no magic formula here. It's 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 tough, and the living on takeaway is really doesn't doesn't do much for the bottom line. I mean, John, John, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, oh, sorry, yeah. just correct me if I'm wrong. The, the, the restaurants were not closed, completely closed in Hong Kong previously, were they? Uh, they were, you know, they were at fifty percent. They were, they were the lower capacity. Uh, yeah, then they went up to eighty percent. It's quite a big difference because, as you say, you know, it's a big cultural thing in Hong Kong, isn't it? There's a huge. There's a, it's, it's part of Hong Kong life is eating out. So yeah. taking that away from people is going to make uh, it's going to have quite a big kind of uh, psychological impact on on the city. I think definitely, but but I think you know the the key you know, going forward, we don't know when the pandemic will end. Um, you know, vaccine maybe we'll have one, maybe we won't. Um, I'm, I'm more going for you know, quick, accurate, uh, cheap test kits that, that can be rolled out. And then, you know, if you can quickly do a, a swab of someone and you know within five minutes whether or not they're you know, infected and you let them into your hotel or onto your airplane, things like that, or into your restaurant. So 
um, I, I think the key going forward is how to learn to, to live with this um, and to make your restaurant or your shop or whatever your business is to make it safe. Um, you know, we, we very quickly, you know, in, in March and April when this first kind of hit Hong Kong, we looked, we looked at what was happening in, in Los Angeles, New York, London, all these places that were actually had a you know, hit, hit before us. Um, and we, we learned something from that. But then very quickly we realized that, you know, Hong Kong, because I, I guess our experience with SARS, everyone's wearing masks, everyone's following the rules and washing their hands and sanitizing, etc. So we're actually, we very quickly leapfrogged ahead of, of the rest of the world. And I think there's an interesting case study where Black Sheep Group, which is a you know, quite a well-known restaurant group in Hong Kong, they came up with a guide, a guidebook of how to deal with uh, COVID-19 as a, as a restaurant operator. And that, that actually got picked up and went around the world uh, for other, other places to learn from. So I think now the key is, as a restaurant um, or business, how to you know, how to deal with this going forward into, into 2021 if, if, if it's still around then. Mm. Well, Jonathan Zeman, thank you very much indeed for joining us, CEO of the Lang Kwai Fong Group, and uh, James Robertson, JR, owner of the restaurant chain Grappers uh, and Cadillac. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Uh, just finishing off with a, with a few emails, uh, mostly relating to our earlier discussion about medical aspects of uh, COVID-19. John Sai Kung says, Hi, why is testing still limited? Only Korea and Germany can organise mass testing? Why are doctors allowed 100% profit for a test? A recent paper indicates immunity only lasts three weeks comments uh, on that uh, and Jill says we're all aware of the usefulness of wearing masks covering our mouths to help prevent the spread but there was talk of transmission via the eyes should we be wearing goggles or glasses to protect ourselves or is this not a problem sorry that came in too late to to put that to the experts but thanks for raising that I guess I mean that's one reason that people wear the shields uh, as an alternative to uh, goggles uh, and uh, on your point uh, Andrew about the uh, central aircon oh yeah to have time yeah. to get an yeah. answer to uh, Guy says central aircon must be a risk. It must also be a risk in public hospitals where all wards have sealed windows. Uh, question mark. Uh, you were saying that your friend was asking around hotels to see which <clears> ones had. I yeah. thought they would all have central aircon. A lot of the four-star older hotels that have been renovated buildings that didn't have central aircon. They, you know, they can't build in and after the fact, so they would uh, equip all the rooms with uh, individual aircons. Right. So there you go. It can be done. Old school. Okay. Uh, last word going to Mike. Uh, who says, it's interesting to me how we collectively forget how viruses work and have always worked. The virus will stay with us as SARS did for two seasons. Do not rely on a vaccine, rely on your own immune system, keep it strong. One way is to eliminate sugar. Stay healthy. That comes from Mike. Mike, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, Andrew, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. That's it from us. Back at 8.30 tomorrow. The weather mainly fine and very hot. Temperatures up to 33 degrees. The outlook hot with sunny periods and a couple of showers in the next couple of days too. Very hot weather warning now at 30 Celsius and the relative humidity, 74%. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, take preventive measures when commuting. Avoid rush hours and busy times and take advantage of flexible working hours. Wear a mask when taking a ride. If possible, open the windows to ventilate the vehicle. Clean your hands with liquid soap and water or alcohol-based hand rub after using public transport or touching public facilities. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. 9.32, the news now with Samantha Butler.
The Democratic Party says police have arrested its vice chairman, Logan Hay, at around 6.30 this morning. In a Facebook post, the party says it's believed to be linked to mass arrests outside the Polytechnic University on November the 18th. President Trump has renewed his strong criticism of China as he announced legislation and an executive order in retaliation for Beijing's imposition of a new security law in Hong Kong. The president outlined the measures his administration had taken to counter what he described as China's unfair trade practices and human rights abuses and for, as he put it, unleashing the coronavirus on the world. And the Trump administration has reversed a plan to force foreign students whose courses were to be taught solely online to leave the country. It follows legal action by a number of U.S. universities. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. As well. Oh, so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really fine dance. It's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. The side of what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. In-depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday. And have you noticed that Donald Trump's hair has gone grey? Yeah, have a look. Have a look at the pictures of him making this announcement, Ray Hong Kong. Grey. Anyway, we're off to Texas in a few minutes to chat with our friend Janice Jensen from Neva's Animal Speak on tour. She says a tired dog is a good dog. We're going to be live, Sonne Lumiere, so if you want to ask Janice any questions, Morning Brew is the page. After 11.30, more from Philippe Davar from RTL France. As usual, he'll be bringing us this week's French guy in Hong Kong stories. And certainly in the States, not that it's very relevant, it's still Bastille Day, so we'll get into that as well. Chris Watts is very busy today, so he will be with us tomorrow. Instead, at 12.10... Going to welcome back top Australian concert pianist Christian Chong to give us a live concert from his big studio today. So join us, of course, on Facebook for that Facebook Live. It's 25 to 10.